Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, the other half of the podcast. And Championship Weekend yes, sir. is finally upon us. Well, I mean, Kevin, you remember last weekend? Remember the divisional round in the NFL? Remember how wild Boy, it do was? I. Oh, I yeah. Think we're, I think we're going to be set up for possibly just as good of a weekend, just like last weekend. I don't know about you. That's how, that's how I feel going into this weekend. Can always hope for a better one, but yes, if it can give me the same excitement that last weekend did, I'm not going to complain. All right. With that said, you ready to dive into these topics, my guy? Let it rock, boy. All right. So for the first couple segments, we're going to keep it pretty basic. We're just going to focus on the AFC Championship and NFC Championship games. we got the Bengals and the Chiefs going up against each other in Arrowhead in Kansas City. And then for the NFC Championship, we got the 49ers going to Los Angeles to play the Rams at SoFi Stadium. So those will be the first two topics that we knock out. After that, we'll keep it within the NFL. We now have the news of Ben Roethlisberger officially retiring from the NFL after 18 seasons. I believe it's 18. It's either that or 19. We'll just talk about the impact that he brought to the game. Had a phenomenal career. That's kind of putting it mildly. But we'll dive into that, that discussion once we get to that part of the episode. After that, we'll transition into some NBA topics. We're going to mostly focus on the all-star game voting that has taken place. We now know the starters for both the Eastern and the Western Conference. Uh, the one standout was from the Western Conference, and that is Andrew Wiggins. We'll talk about whether or not that we believe that he should be an all-star starter in the Western Conference for that game. And then to round out the episode, we're going to talk about two really good all-star players in both Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. Both have made another all-star appearance. And really, when when you look at the matchup, these are the two best centers in the game. And we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to have a little bit of a debate on which center between Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid is better. So basically, it's kind of like who you got. Uh, for that segment, and that'll round out the episode. So we only have five segments for this episode, so try to keep it a little bit light going into the weekend, but that's the agenda that we have for you guys. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this AFC Championship game between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Kansas City Chiefs. So to give you guys the rundown for this AFC Championship matchup, we've got the Bengals, who are coming off of a game-winning field goal 
over the Tennessee Titans last week in the AFC Divisional Round. They won that game by the score of 19-16. to And then to kick it over to Kansas City, Kansas City is probably coming off of the best game of the year, beating the Bills in overtime by the score of 42-36. to Really one of the best, not only the best games of the year, you can make a case that it might arguably be the best divisional game that has ever taken place in the playoffs. That game really lived up to expectations. It exceeded them, which was kind of crazy because the expectations for that Chiefs and Bills game was through the roof already. So this is a great matchup that we have featuring Joe Burrow going up against Patrick Mahomes. This is Burrow's first playoff run as an NFL quarterback. Mahomes, they're looking to go to their third straight Super Bowl appearance in a row with the Chiefs. And really, this is going to be an exciting matchup just from what I see on paper so far. Now, Kevin, you made a very hot take a couple of weeks ago about Cincinnati possibly going to the Super Bowl. And you made it official by saying that you believe that Cincinnati is going to go to the Super Bowl just off the back of Joe Burrow and really the playmakers that surround him on that side of the offense. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, do you think that Joe Burrow and the Bengals can overcome the odds to advance to the Super Bowl by beating the Chiefs this weekend in the AFC Championship game? I made the prediction a few weeks back, like you said. I've been on the Joe Burrow wagon for a little bit now, obviously pretty much for most of this season and seeing what he's been able to produce, what he's been able to do with lack of experience overcoming an injury. Obviously, the offensive line has been the, the, the front load of the biggest doubters that are opposing the Bengals victory this Sunday or uh, this weekend. Uh, it's not Sunday. It is. Oh, it is Sunday. Both games are on Sunday. I'm crazy. Um, and I really do have faith that Joe Burrow is going to find a way to overcome the difficulties and the mountainous struggle, or should I say the mountainous obstacle that is Patrick Mahomes. And I really, really, really think that Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and those boys are just such impactful, such confident, and such um, dominant players at each of their positions that I think that they can find a way to overcome the mountain that is Kansas City. And I know people are thinking, you had a better quarterback go up against him last week in Josh Allen. You had a better defense go up against it in the totality that is Buffalo. But in the last matchup that they played against each other, and by they I mean Joe Burrow and um, Patrick Mahomes, the Bengals ended up coming back and taking that victory, and Joe Burrow went completely off the rails and torched that Kansas City defense, in which we have seen in the last couple of weeks has been had. Now, Pittsburgh only put up 21 points, but that is more points than some teams have been able to put up against them for two months straight when they went on that win streak. Who broke that win streak? The Bengals. The Bengals are confident. The Bengals are young. That experience thing is going out of the window because they are finding ways to stay poised and stay ready to perform. They held Tennessee to 16 points. They held an NFL MVP candidate before his injury to under 75 total yards in Derrick Henry. They made Ryan Tannehill basically in our last segment that has absolutely blown up uh, take off and, and look like a bum. They made Ryan Tannehill look awful. So I think that on the defensive front, they are coming up against a great uh, dominant performer that is Patrick and that offense. But on the offensive side, they're playing a defense that has been questionable the last couple of weeks. They're playing a defense that they already are familiar with. Now, they have a big adjustment period to make, like I said, uh, in the offensive line. Nine sacks last week allowed against Tennessee. So 
I really think that they're going to have to run the ball pretty efficiently this week. I really think they're going to have to lean on Joe Mixon, create that play action. Jamar Chase is going to probably be doubled for the majority of this game because that's just the dominant presence that he overcomes or that he demands. So I think T. Higgins and their tight end, C.J. I Oh, my God, Uzuma. that last name is Uzuma. Uzuma. That last name always gets me. I think they're going to be very, very, very impactful because when you dominate as much as Jamar has and you bring that double-team presence – I really think that they're going to have to lean on some other playmakers. So I stick with my pick. I got Joe Burrow and the Bengals advancing to the Super Bowl. Uh, for those of you that are wondering, this is not a T. Higgins jersey. This is a Chad Johnson jersey before he legally changed his name to uh, Ocho Cinco. So as y'all can see, I'm rocking with the Bengals. Kevin, I got to give you credit. That was a bold take that you made a couple of weeks ago saying that the Bengals are going to go to the Super Bowl. I fully respect that decision. But uh, I'm going to go against the grain. On this one, my guy. I got to take Kansas City on this one. And to me, I'm going to kind of make a bold statement here. I think the Chiefs win this one by two touchdowns. So looking at this game, look, the Chiefs are are coming off probably the biggest game of the year. I mean, to have a 42-point explosion against the number one rated defense in the Buffalo Bills last week was absolutely stunning. That game lived up to expectations, and the Chiefs were able to go above and beyond to win that game. When it really looked like the Bills had won that game after Josh Allen had hit Gabriel Davis for that fourth touchdown of his with 13 seconds left. But Patrick Mahomes was able to lead that drive at the end of the game to get them into field goal range to get the game into overtime. And then once Casey got the ball, it was game over. You know, hitting up Travis Kelsey on that back shoulder touchdown to advance to the AFC Championship game. So to me, the Chiefs are on a real high right here. It's not to discredit the high that Cincinnati is on. Cincinnati came off of a huge win against the Tennessee Titans last week on the road, beating the number one seed. It's just the Chiefs, to me, they are the more impactful team here as far as just what they're able to do. They're more dynamic than I think the Bengals are. And really, the, the matchup that we have between Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, I think it's a great quarterback matchup going into this weekend. I don't know if it's as good as what we had with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes uh, last week, but I think when you look at this matchup, I think that both quarterbacks are going to be able to perform pretty well just because we've already seen it once this year where Joe Burrow was able to light up that KC defense. Pat was able to do the same thing against that Cincinnati defense. But to me, the difference maker in this game is Cincinnati's offensive line is just a train wreck right now. To give up nine sacks to the Tennessee Titans last week is unacceptable. Now, I do think that they will play better just because Casey's pass rush has been inconsistent this year. They haven't been able to get a lot of pressure on the quarterback on a consistent basis. But I do think that KC's defense is going to step up. They are going to force some Joe Burrow mistakes. And I think that Chiefs defense, granted, they're not the best defense in the league, but they are opportunistic. They are opportunistic, excuse me. And they do make some plays as far as getting some turnovers. And to me, if they're able to force a turnover off of Joe Burrow, or if they're able to get a fumble as well, I think it changes the entire momentum of the game. I think it swings entirely in Casey's favor. And then when you factor in all the crowd noise that Arrowhead is going to provide for the Chiefs, that is going to be a big factor. And I remember Patrick Mahomes saying it uh, after the game against the Bills last week that that was a huge factor, that the fans were significant 
for them in that game. And I do think that when you factor in that pressure from the crowd, just for the Bengals, it's going to be tough to hear those line calls on the line of scrimmage. And I think you're going to see some struggles for the Bengals in this game, just because the environment in KC is going to be absolutely wild for that game. So overall, as far as the prediction goes, I have the Chiefs winning this one. I think they win this one by two touchdowns. I just think that Joe's going to make some mistakes. And I think that KC is going to punish them for it. And I think it's going to take them all the way to LA for Super Bowl 56. So as far as the score is concerned, I got the Chiefs winning this one by the score of, I'm going to say 34 to 20. I just think that Patrick Mahomes is going to outduel Joe Burrow in this matchup. I think Pat throws probably four touchdowns in this game. Maybe three. Maybe they get like a running touchdown from um, Daryl Williams or somebody in the backfield. Maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire gets on the board as well. But just those mistakes that I'm expecting from Joe Burrow, I think it's going to cost them. And like I said, I I got Casey winning this one by the score of 34-20. to I I respect it. People have to understand, though, Joe Burrow is the first quarterback in NFL history to be drafted number, number one overall. Mm-hmm. and to also be in the AFC Championship within his first two years. Joe Burrow is also a part of a team that has taken the biggest turnaround in a season in a long time. I forget the exact number of years, but from the Bengals being one of the worst teams in the league, drafting fifth overall last year, to being in the AFC Championship this year, is quite the feat for Zach Taylor and his staff. And the last statistic that I'm going to give, in which the last two haven't really been statistics, but Joe Burrow has one turnover in his last seven games. And that turnover was because of a drop pass by Samaj P. Ryan, who tipped it in the air. And again, that was a questionable interception as the ball did graze the floor. But ultimately, it makes no difference. It wasn't on Joe Burrow's uh, conscience, or should I say it wasn't on Joe Burrow's shoulders to welder that, uh, that fault or that mistake by P. Ryan. So Joe Burrow has not made a whole lot of mistakes basically in the last two months of football, which include the regular season and two postseason games. Mm-hmm. So Joe has to limit the turnovers also, yes. But as a, as a unit, the Bengals need to alleviate that pressure of having Joe drop back 35, 40 times. Joe Mixon is one of the better backs in the NFL. You better lean on him, and you better make sure that you block Chris Jones. Otherwise, it's going to be a long-ass night for the Bengals, and my prediction is going to fall to shit. I got to ask you, though, just like how crazy would it be that if Casey were to win this game, they would go to their third straight Super Bowl? It's not crazy at all. It's, no, I'm just saying. Tom's been yeah, doing it for fucking I, I, years. I know. It's just that it's just there's been some decent teams that have gone up against the Chiefs the last couple of years in that conference. It's just to me, I, the Bills probably should have beat them last week. I agree. I mean, you're up three points with 13 seconds to go. I don't know how you close, I don't know how you can't seal the deal on that one and you allow Patrick Mahomes to get down the field in 10 seconds. Yeah. I mean they got they got they got there faster in the field goal range than the freaking Cowboys did to run a play and then try to get to the line of scrimmage at the wild card round a couple of weeks ago. So I it's just I, I always kind of find that hysterical that, that somebody brought that up on Twitter. It just that was hysterical to me. But no, I just you know the matchup that we have here, I think it's a phenomenal matchup. I don't know if it's going to live up to the expectations of what we saw last week with uh, the Bills and the Chiefs, but I think overall, I think this matchup between Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, I think it's going to be a solid quarterback matchup moving forward for the next couple of years. 
It's just like to me, I think that Josh Allen and the Patrick Mahomes one is a little bit better. But if Joe plays well on the road and they beat KC, I think it's going to stun a lot of people. Not you. You picked the Bengals to win this one. You picked the Bengals to go all the way to the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago. And if they do, I might have to send you a case of Corona on the way just because that was quite a pick. But I think for I'm me, still down it, one, so it would even us out. Don't forget, I'm still I, down I, for the Russell it, one. It's just it's tough to pick against Pat, bro. It it's tough to pick. It's tough to pick against KC just because they have been they've been the more consistent team the last couple of years. I mean, literally, they were one play away from possibly getting to four straight Super Bowls if they actually win this game and advance to Super Bowl Fifty Six. I mean, they're that close. I mean, they're one play from the Patriots away from getting to another Super Bowl, like back when it happened in 2018. It would be absolutely wild um, if the Chiefs were able to get three Super Bowl appearances in a row. I know the Patriots did it uh, before the Chiefs went on their run. They went to three straight Super Bowls, but still, I find this run that Casey had been, that has been on, it, it's been absolutely incredible. Yeah, well, obviously, we already know Brady and Manning were the big rivalry in terms of, you know, the dominant two performers in, of our childhood, of our, of our generation. But let's not forget, Ben was there. Philip Rivers was there. They were great AFC teams. So, Even you Joe know, Flacco. Kyle and I. Joe Flacco yeah, came Joe, up in some good Well, Joe Flacco was a little bit later. But you know what I mean? In terms of, yeah. like, that older generation of quarterbacks that had that rivalry or that, that uh, consistency of being in an AFC championship or a great divisional round matchup. I know we made the prediction that that's going to be Josh Allen and Patrick for the foreseeable future. But if Joe can continue this and repeat the success next season and seasons to come, then I would definitely throw him in there as the Philip Rivers, as the you know, Ben Roethlisberger potentially to rival the two, you know, better quarterbacks, if if anything. Yeah, I, I, Joe's still got a little ways to go. Agreed. I mean, like I said, it's got, it's got to repeat success to get in that caliber of, you know, that rivalry. But, but to me, like, the rise that Joe Burrow had at the end of the season was absolutely insane. Insane, dude, bro. Dude, he almost had like a thousand yards passing in back-to-back games. There was one game I think he had over 500 yards passing, and then the other one he had. It's like the Chiefs. 400, yeah, he had like 450. So I, it, he was balling at the end of the season. I mean, going into year three, I, I mean, you got to be really high on the Bengals moving forward after what Agreed. we've seen from Burrow this year. But it, it's kind of funny. The one constant, though, in the entire discussion that we've had is Mahomes. Mahomes is still like the main center of that piece as far as like these QB battles go. Because to me, Mahomes is here. Allen, I think, is like right here. Yeah, it's like one A, one B. I don't think that Allen is that far away from Mahomes, bro. I really do. One A, one B. They're in the same tier. They're right there. And and, and then you know, if the if this is Pat, this is Josh. I think Burrow is probably like right here, a little bit lower, a little bit lower, just because it's one year right now. Still, I mean, you know, if we're talking about this season, then yes, for sure, he's 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 bridging the gap. Yeah, it's just. I think really by next year, I think Joe Burrow, now that he's got a full season under his belt, because last year he got hurt, as long as he stays healthy. If the Bengals improve that line in this draft and in free agency. Kevin, you know know this better. Offensive line, you have to protect your most important asset. You have to. That's why, like, literally, you have the utter hatred for one particular individual in Ryan Grigson pain i know it's pain but no let's I think, go to the next segment before i cry 
but no, I mean, th- this AFC championship matchup, it's going to be phenomenal. I can't wait for it. And you said it's taking oh my place God. on and it is taking place on Sunday. At 3 o'clock, so it'll be daytime, too. Also, it'll be the early one. Wow. That'll be a good one. But, yeah, with that said, let's transition into the NFC Championship matchup that is going to feature the 49ers and the Rams. Just a quick rundown of this NFC Championship matchup. The 49ers came off of a stunning, shocking upset win over the Green Bay Packers last week winning that game by the score of 13 to 10 in pretty much what you would say is winter-like conditions. I won't say a blizzard, but it was wintry conditions up in Lambeau Field for that game. Uh, shocked me, to say the least. I was not expecting the 49ers to you win that both. game against Green Bay. Um, holding Green Bay to 10 points at home is quite impressive. And really, their, their defense has been playing absolutely phenomenal throughout this playoff run so far. And then to kick it over to the Rams... The Rams are coming off of a damn near disaster against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week in the divisional round. Uh, they won that game by the score of 30-27. to 27. They won on a game-winning field goal, but they were up 27-3 to 3 at one point in that game and allowed the Tom Brady-led Buccaneers to mount a pretty significant comeback to tie that game at 27-27. But like I said, the Rams were able to win on a game-winning field goal and advance to the NFC Championship game. Now, the interesting part about this matchup is this is the third time that the 49ers and the Rams have played each other this year. In the two regular season matchups, the 49ers beat them, beat the Rams twice, one at home and then one away in LA. And this is going to be an interesting matchup because the 49ers, they have a legitimate shot to make the Super Bowl here just based on how the defense has been playing throughout this playoff run. But Kevin, I'm going to kick this one to you. Do you think the Rams can avoid a three-game sweep from the 49ers in the NFC Championship game this weekend? I think that they can. I also made the prediction that it would be the Bengals versus the Rams in my preseason, or should I say in my pre-postseason prediction. So I'm rocking with the Rams. I'm going with the Rams all the way. Um, I think the Rams are a different team than the last two times they played the 49ers. Matt Stafford's in a rhythm. The defense is swarming. Obviously, the coaching staff is doing what it needs to do with play calling and whatnot, and obviously excluding that poor performance last week and a complete collapse and you know a complete collapse like we talked about of last week's ordeal uh i really think that the rams are a better team uh all around obviously we both know that both defenses in in the 49ers and the rams are absolutely incredible this year we know that you know aaron donald and nick both are two headlining big pieces for both defenses but there is a distinct difference in both offenses i am definitely going to take the hot la rams offense with OBJ, with Cooper Cup, with Tyler Higby, over the up-and-down kind of like inconsistent offense that is Jimmy G, uh, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and Elijah Mitchell. Um, obviously, we know Debo Samuel is probably the most dynamic player in football in terms of how he can affect the game, both running, catching the ball, and even if he had to be a return man, in which he was at South Carolina. So we know that he is multifaceted. But I don't have enough faith in Jimmy Garoppolo with all of the injuries he has accumulated and the inconsistencies in his decision-making um, I am going to give the edge to the Rams. I'm going to say that the Rams are actually going to break this seal or break this curse of losing to the division rivals that is the San Francisco 49ers. And they're going to win this game by about a touchdown. Uh, I think that Matt Stafford has a pretty solid day. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in the run game. We saw that Cam Akers had a horrible game last week. I don't know if that means that he's going to split carries with Sony Michelle or what. But 
I think they're going to have to lean on the run game just a little bit, try to create some kind of a gap, try to create some kind of play action and separation. You can't really double a lot of receivers on the Rams because you double Odell, Cooper's left one-on-one in the slot. You double Cooper, Odell's open one-on-one on the outside. So it's kind of a pick-your-poison kind of thing. We all know Tyler Higby and Van Jefferson are great, great, great targets over the middle of the field and the deep ball as well. So with the Rams having all of those options, I think that they are going to advance to the Super Bowl in their home stadium, which would be absolutely incredible considering both home teams and back-to-back Super Bowls would be featured in the Super Bowl if this prediction comes to fruition. But I'm taking the Rams, and I'm, I'm, I'm rocking with the Stafford versus Joe Burrow Super Bowl. Yeah, Kev, I'm with you 100% on this one. I think the Rams, uh, despite the fact that they've lost to the 49ers twice this season already, I don't see them losing a third straight game to the 49ers this season. And I do see them advancing to Super Bowl 56. And here's why. So now I did mention earlier that they had a terrible second half against the Buccaneers last week. The, the Rams fell apart. I mean, at one point they were up 27 to three and just the amount of mistakes that the Rams had in this second half was quite stunning. I mean, I think they had four turnovers in the second half alone, either that or they had three. It was one of those. They cannot have that going up against the 49ers this weekend. And there's no other way that I could phrase it just because even though that that 49ers offense is limited with Jimmy G, I mean, great that they have some great playmakers in Debo Samuel, Elijah Mitchell, George Kittle. It doesn't seem like to me that that offense is predicated towards winning in a shootout. I mean, they could put up some decent points here and there, but they're not consistently a high-scoring offense. Now, when I look at the Rams, the Rams are the opposite. The Rams are a very high-scoring offense. They're one of the most high-powered offenses in the entire league. You know, when you got guys like Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, Oda Beckham Jr., and you can mention guys like Tyler Higby and Van Jefferson, that's tough to stop. And we saw it last week. In the first half, the Rams were unstoppable against Tampa. They pretty much took that defense apart. And even though they had their struggles in the second half, they were able to torch that defense one more time at the end of the game when Matt Stafford connected with Cooper Cup on a beautiful like 35, 40-yard pass to get them in the field goal range. That set them up for the game-winning field goal to get them to this point. I just think that when you look at the offense here with the Rams, there, there's a night and day difference between what the Rams offense can do and the 49ers offense can do. I just think that Matt is playing at such a high level right now. I don't think that the 49ers defense is capable of slowing him down to the point where the Rams lose this game. I just think that the way that the offensive line has protected Matt, the way that he's been throwing the ball to targets like Odell, Cooper Cup, I mean, he's been playing phenomenal throughout this playoff run, and I really don't expect anything to change going into this matchup. Now, when I look at the Rams' defense, that Rams' defense, their pass rush was able to get consistent pressure against Tom Brady last week, sacking him, I believe, at three, four, possibly even five times in that game. And I do think that when you look at the likes of Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, all of these guys can effectively get to the quarterback consistently throughout the game. And we saw it last week, and I think we'll see it occur once again this week when Jimmy G goes up against that vaunted Rams defense. And then when you got Jalen Ramsey, 
one of the best corners, if not the best cornerback in the league, that's going to be very difficult to go up against if you're Jimmy G in that 49ers offense. So, you know, with that said, I got the Rams winning this one. I'm going to say by the 10 points, I think it's going to be a two possession game when it's all said and done. I feel pretty comfortable in that prediction. As far as the score is concerned, I don't know how high scoring it's going to be. I do think the Rams are going to be able to put up points. I'm a little bit worried about the 49ers offensive output. Now, granted, they only scored 13 points last week, but their offense only scored six of those points. So I think points are going to be tough to come by for San Francisco in this game. I'm going to say, as far as the score is concerned, I think, I think the Rams put up 27. I think the 49ers put up 17. And that's how I have it. I got the Rams winning this one by 10 points. And with that said, I have them advancing to Super Bowl 56, where, Kevin, it's kind of crazy. It's like you said, to have back-to-back years of the hosting team actually in the Super Bowl. It's crazy, but I think it's going to happen in this one. And um, I see the Rams winning this one by 10, like I said. Now, I'm not going to take away from the impact that the 49ers have had this postseason. Um, They've had a great run. That defense has been absolutely shut down. Nick, uh, Armstead, Fred Werner, I mean, you name it, they are absolutely doing what they need to do and making sure that the games that they were not supposed to win or not favored to win, they ended up capitalizing and taking advantage. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't have the Cowboys winning. Or excuse me. A lot of people didn't have the uh, 49ers beating the Cowboys. People definitely didn't have the 49ers beating Green Bay. Kyle and I uh, included in that. So mm-hmm. for them to overcome this mountain says a lot about their character, says a lot about their quarterback, although Jimmy's been scrutinized all season long, last year as well, drafting Trey Lance this year. Um, his job was in question, quite frankly, most of the year. And Jimmy Garoppolo, be it or not, has gotten this team to the Super Bowl two times in the last three years. Obviously, they lost to Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl uh, just a few years back, and now they're fighting for their second Super Bowl berth. So – you, you, you're literally looking at a team and you're saying, holy shit, like this, this, this guy is like fighting for his job every single season. And yet he's the consistency that has this team going together that, of course, has to also deal with Kyle Shanahan's play calling. So Jimmy's got to be given some kind of credit here. When he was traded from New England to San Francisco, they were calling him the guy. They were saying that he could make all the throws. He was poised. He was confident. He was a leader. So before we go out here and make bold predictions saying that the Rams are definitely going to win, we've made those predictions before. If the if if the 49ers were to come out on top, I'm not going to sit here and say, wow, I didn't see this coming. It's a big possibility because this team is getting hot at the right time. And it's been shown in the last couple of years, let's be honest, defense does in fact win championships. Legion of Boom was the prime example of that one a few years back when the Broncos were breaking all offensive records and they absolutely annihilated the Broncos off the face of the planet. So I really think the 49ers have a shot. I'm merely picking the Rams because I think that the Rams are a better team overall. But hey, if the 49ers end up coming out on top, I'm not going to sit here surprised. You know, I think the one aspect that I kind of brought up uh, just a couple of minutes ago, I think that offensive line for the 49ers can be had though. And, you know, you know, granted the 49ers did beat the Packers, but the Packers were able to get consistently to Jimmy Garoppolo whenever they threw the ball. Now, I don't remember how many sacks that they had, but I know it was several. And now you look at the matchup of that offensive line going up against Aaron Donald, Vaughn Miller, Leonard Floyd. 
I mean, Aaron Donald. Jimmy was sacked four times. Yeah. Aaron Donald is going to immediately demand a double team. Good luck trying to defend him one-on-one because he's going to destroy that matchup if, if that's the case. To me, Aaron Donald, he is the most impactful player on the field on Sunday. I know Matt Stafford's having a great a postseason run so far. You know, he definitely deserves to be commended for that. But to me, the way that Aaron Donald just, he changes the impact of that line of scrimmage battle. Like, it can, it can wreck an opposing offense's day. We saw that against Tampa for pretty much three quarters where that Buccaneers offense could not get really anything going until basically the end of the game. You look at the matchup of that defensive front going up against the 49ers offense. That's a tough matchup for San Francisco just because that that front four is going to be a nightmare scenario for that offensive line. And I think if they're not able to run the ball effectively against the Rams, which means they have to rely on Jimmy G to carry them to possibly get to the Super Bowl, that is not something that I favor in any way, shape, or form. I think Jimmy can play good in stretches, but Jimmy is known to have these really bad mistakes at the most inopportune times. We saw it against the Cowboys a little bit towards the end of the game in that wild card matchup. We even saw it against the Packers a little bit because they had a red zone drive. He ends up throwing what was probably going to be either a touchdown or interception, and it led to an interception at the end of the first half. It's just that Jimmy has these moments where he could definitely succumb to the pressure and make a mistake, and I think that's what's going to happen against that Rams defense. I think that Rams defense is nasty. They were able to get the the Bucks consistently last week. Granted, they did give up 27 points, but I think this is going to be an easier matchup for them than it was last week against the Bucks. This one is a little bit different because the, Ram, the Rams have lost to the 49ers twice this year already. So I think they, it's like you said, I think they're going to have that in the back of their heads. Like we lost this team twice already. Ain't no way we're letting it happen the third time. So, so a final point, final point. Trent Williams is also on the injury report. He's been battling an injury for the last two, three weeks. That's their star left tackle, the big money man, the highest paid tackle in the NFL, probably rated the best blindside tackle in the NFL, if not the best tackle in the league. So let's be mindful and let's pay attention to that. And I guarantee you that they're going to dial up a lot of pressures on that left side for yeah. Aaron Donald and Von Miller. Be aware, man. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo might be eating the ground a little bit more than we're expecting. They put Aaron Donald on the edge, bro. <sighs> Barbecue chicken, bro. Barbecue bro, chicken. Most consistent player in the league, and I know that I said it last week, seven straight seasons first team All-Pro has not been done since 1958. That is broken status. I, I, he will go down as arguably one of the greatest defensive players in NFL history. I mean, to me, when you look at Aaron Donald's impact, I mean, I think it's right up there with guys like freaking Lawrence Taylor. I think he's at that 100%. level. And, and, and I don't think it is that far of a statement or it's that much of a reach to say that anymore. Because to me, Aaron's put the time in. Aaron Donald has been one of the most impactful defensive players of this generation. And he's doing it time and time again. Now, did he go out there and get like what, what, like twenty two and a half sacks, like uh, T.J. Watt did with the no. Steelers? No. But when you look at when you really look at the film with Aaron Donald, 
the guy demands a double team pretty much every snap, or there's at least two guys that are going to be responsible for him. You know, one guy could chip if he's out on the edge, or you could have like a center and a guard on a double team when he's lined up inside. This dude, he he could just wreck an offensive playbook if he's effective at either getting to the quarterback or just pretty much stopping those run lanes from opening up for running backs to go through. I just, you got to give Aaron Donald his shine. You got to give him a shine, bro. bro. I pulled up the stats. LT in 13 years had 142 sacks. Aaron Donald in eight has 98. Bro, you have five years to get in that magnitude, that, that level of Michael Strahan and freaking Reggie White and Lawrence Taylor, you're two sacks away in your career from cracking 100. Not a lot of people have done that in and of itself. So we're going to sit here in five, six years, and we're going to be talking about Aaron Donald, arguably the greatest defensive player ever. Because, the, the, the dude, I know we're dragging this on, but it has to be said, and this will probably end up being another segment in and of itself. Aaron Donald was combating double and triple teams and getting pressure. Like, he was moving grown men twice his size. Aaron Donald's only six feet tall, guys. If you didn't know that... He's big here. He's short in regards to some of these offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. He's moving grown men off the earth, off the pavement, off the grass, the turf, whatever terminology you want to use, with one arm. He is splitting professional double-team pancakes and getting pressure and getting tackle for losses. I don't think I've ever seen in our generation, because I cannot say that I saw Lawrence Taylor or any of these other players growing up because we weren't around, I don't think I've ever seen a player have that much impact to where double chip, um, pancake, uh, rotated, whatever, however you want to block him. There's there, there's no there's no safe there, there's no way to block him. Like it's it's he's one of those people that he's like an unstoppable force that needs to be accounted for at all times. Bro, if he lines up at corner, I'm worried. I don't even give a shit. That's just that's how scary he is, and that impact with having one weak link of an offensive lineman is going to carry so much weight in how they in how Raheem Morris schemes this defense next week or this yeah. Sunday. I mean, to me, when I look at Aaron Donald, I mean, you have to put him up there with the likes of Lawrence Taylor and Reggie White. I mean, he is he's up that high already. And I mean, if I remember correctly, the guy is either in his late 20s or maybe like 30. I don't know his age specifically. 1991, me, so I think he just turned – he turns 30 in May. No, he's going to turn uh, 31. 31, excuse me. But, yeah, it's 2022. I still got to get used to that. Mm-hmm. But it's just the guy's playing at a supreme level. The guy's been playing at that level for years now. And to me, you can make a very good case that he's been the best player in the NFL, not just the last year or two, but the last couple years, just because just how significant of an impact that he brings to that that line of scrimmage. And I know it's not flashy. It's not like, you know, Randy Moss going up back in the day and, you know, mossing somebody. It's not like Patrick Mahomes throwing a sidearm pass and, you know, just making these highlight plays. You know, Aaron Donald, he's in the trenches, bro, but he is making the most of it. And he's just pancaking these 300 and 350-pound linemen like it's nothing. Like, that's no easy feat. I used to play offensive line when I was in high school. To pancake another offensive lineman, that takes some strength, bro. And his level of strength, dude, I think his freaking arm might be bigger than my whole freaking chest. Like, 
that dude is just built different. He's been playing different. He's just a nightmare scenario if you're an offensive lineman. And it's, man, I I don't envy the guys that have to block him because he dude's just a beast, bro. Dude's unbelievable. That's facts. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about that all day long. All we got day. Some other, we got some other segments to hit. Uh, we're going to keep it within the realm of the NFL. And we're going to talk about Ben Ross, excuse me, Ben Roethlisberger retiring from the game of football. Now, this has been something that we've been kind of predicting really the last couple of months or so. I mean, to be quite honest, I think, Kevin, we were kind of surprised that Big Ben came back to play this season after the way that last Work. year it ended for the Steelers. But it is now official. Ben Roethlisberger has hung it up. He's had quite a career. He's a two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He won back in, I believe, Super Bowl 40 and then Super Bowl 43. I think he did those respectively in like 2006 and 2009, I think, if I remember the years correctly. Yeah, Super Bowl 40 against the Seahawks, Super Bowl 43 against the uh, Cardinals. Against the Cardinals. That was yep. a fantastic Super Bowl, too. Oh, my that, God, amazing. Bro, that, that was James Harrison. Bro, it was right down the street. It was nice. It was a great Super Bowl. But um, I, I guess the question now is, is now that Big Ben's um, career has come to an end, it kind of always circles back to this legacy part with, you know, such an impactful player like Ben Roethlisberger. Now we got to put him in the discussion, you know, is this guy worthy of, of the Hall of Fame? So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, now that Ben Roethlisberger has retired from the game of football, do you believe that Big Ben is a first ballot Hall of Famer? Without a doubt. Um, three Super Bowl appearances, two Super Bowl victories. I mean, over 64,000 yards passing, over 400 passing touchdowns, a uh, career average of 64.4% completion percentage, uh, multiple-time Pro Bowler, obviously multiple first pro selection, or, you know, multiple all-pro selections in the NFL. So, I mean, the man has literally done it all. We've talked about it multiple times. He is the probable last, if not one of the last quarterbacks that have been able to not only take a beating, but have been a true warrior. And my dad and I always made this quote, uh, not quote, but we always made this point. There are very few quarterbacks that have been able to actually play through injuries and actually like, you know, come back into the game despite being hurt. Ben Roethlisberger, Cam Newton, um, a couple of other quarterbacks uh, that I'm thinking of. Of course, I'm going to draw a blank now that I'm actually making a point on the segment. But you guys get what I'm trying to say. He's the last of a dying breed that's willing to go out there and put it all on the line for his team. He's known for his big arm. He's known for those big pump fakes in the pocket when he's getting pressured. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger played in a very tough AFC generation with Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, just so many talented, Carson Palmer, so many talented uh, quarterbacks in his era, and he still found a way to reach the pinnacle twice. He still found a way to get to the Super Bowl three times. So it's like, granted, Pittsburgh has always been a team that has had a great defense, but Ben being thrown into the realm early on and getting into a Super Bowl within his second or third year and then going right back into another one within another two or three seasons just showed how he was consistent, showed his dominance, and really, really showed how good of a teammate he was. Uh, we all know that Ben had a couple of legal issues back early on in his career, but he was able to overcome that, get back to football, and really play it at a really high level. So uh, big kudos to Big Ben. Everyone is going to miss him. Um, it sucked to see him kind of dwindle down the way that he has 
this late in his career with his mobility and a couple of other nagging injuries like the elbow last year. But uh, overall, Hall of Fame career, without a doubt, I believe Ben Roethlisberger will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, Kevin, I'm with you on this one. It's really kind of hard to take the uh, take the other route on this one and not seeing him as a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think when you really look at big when you look at Big Ben's legacy, I mean, look at the guys he was playing next to. I mean, he was playing against guys like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Philip Rivers, Joe Flacco, kind of towards like the middle and the end of his career. I mean, these are great quarterbacks that you have to go up against. And when when you look at the AFC picture throughout his tenure, I mean, outside of Tom, he's the only quarterback to have won multiple Super Bowls as far as representing the AFC since the time he started his career. And I think that goes, I think that's a huge credit to what he was able to bring uh, to Pittsburgh. You know, I think getting off to the start that he did earlier in his career, I mean, the guy was shot out of a cannon when he first came onto the scene. I mean, I, I remember correctly, I remember I think it was the first year that he started. They went like 15-1. and one. I believe they had the, the, the number one seed in the AFC, and they ended up losing to, to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. And, you know, as a young quarterback, that could definitely leave a huge psychological impact you know, losing an AFC championship in that manner to the Patriots at the time. But he was able to rebound very quickly, you know, to get back to the Super to get to the Super Bowl for Super Bowl 40 and then be able to win that one in his first Super Bowl appearance. Uh, that's a huge credit to him, especially at a at a young age, being at that quarterback spot for the Steelers. And then to get to another Super Bowl within just the next couple of years in 2009 for Super Bowl 43. I mean, Kevin, that was one of the better Super Bowls that we've ever seen. I mean, that game was back and forth. It came down pretty much to the end of the game. And Big Ben was able to connect on a fantastic pass to Santonio Holmes in the corner with like 35 seconds left that gave them the edge over Arizona at the end of the game, which led to his second Super Bowl ring as an NFL quarterback. And then when you really kind of look at the middle and the end of his career, I mean, the guy was fantastic. I mean, granted, they didn't get to any more Super Bowls outside of the 2010 appearance where they lost to the Green Bay Packers in, um, actually, it might have been 2011, if I, 2011, if I remember the, the years correctly, um, when they got to Super Bowl 45, they lost to Green Bay. But despite that, I mean, he was responsible for one of the most high-powered offenses in the league, I mean, he had great targets to throw to. I mean, you had guys like freaking Mike Wallace. You had Antonio Brown. Um, you had Hines Ward. You had Emmanuel Sanders too. You know, it, even towards the end, I mean, you had guys like Juju Smith-Schuster. But the fact that he was able to carry that offense the way that he did, I mean, it put the Steelers in great positions to win. Now, granted, they didn't get to a Super Bowl really kind of towards like the last like third of his career. But with Big Ben, the guy could always be able to provide a huge spark for that team on the offensive side of the ball. To me, he's one of the best pump fakers that the league has ever seen. I mean, guys would bite so heavy on those pump fakes that he would do. And guy and Kevin, I mean, the guy was just impossible to tackle sometimes. I mean, you know, Big Ben's a big guy. Granted, he's not the most mobile quarterback. He can run when he needs to. But just... 
what he was able to do as far as being able to shake off defensive linemen or linebackers and be able to somehow get a pass out and to be able to complete it to a wide out or a tight end or a running back out of the backfield. I mean, th- those were invaluable assets that Ben had at his disposal, you know, even despite the fact that it didn't necessarily end well towards the end, Ben was just a great quarterback. There's no other way to say it. Um, it's, you know, going up against Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. I mean, those two are legends in the game. You know, Peyton had two Super Bowls. Um, you also had, um, you also had Tom. I actually made a mistake earlier. I totally forgot about Peyton having multiple Super Bowls. I totally forgot about that. But just overall, just, I, I mean, the, the dude was a great quarterback. He is going to be missed. And um, the way that I see it, the guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer, in my opinion. There's no other way of saying it. I'm glad. I'm glad Dude. I caught. I'm glad I caught myself with the paint one. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that, and then that, was, that, was, that was that was a, that was a miss on my part. It happens. I made the mistake of saying he was a multiple time uh, All Pro. He was not actually selected uh, first team All Pro ever in his career, which is crazy. But it also goes to the point of he played in a generation or a time period in which that title was held by Peyton or Tom for most of it. So mm-hmm. um, absolutely incredible career. I really do think that the league is going to miss Ben. I know that I will miss Ben's integrity and how he held himself in game. And just, again, the warrior point, man, not a lot of people can go out there and play with broken ribs and, and messed up ankles and torn ligaments in their feet and, and be as successful as he was. Uh, I know he was an AFC rival because obviously I'm a Colts fan and they beat us quite a bit of times in the playoffs and, you know, some situations to get a higher seed, but overall, Big kudos to Big Ben. Uh, I really do respect the career that he had. And if he is not a first ballot Hall of Famer, I think they're doing him a disservice. It, it'd be hard pressed for me to believe that he wouldn't get on, get in on first ballot. I mean, the stats are there. The accomplishments are there. Multiple Super Bowl winner. I, I, I think to me, it's it, it's a pretty clear Gotta be, choice. bro. Gotta yeah. be. I mean, there's there, there's been some some controversial picks. Uh, when it comes to these Hall of Fame inductions of late, I know one in particular, uh, that Reggie Wayne one, uh, has always been kind of a point of contention for you, the fact that um, he didn't get in over Calvin Johnson. I know that's kind of it's kind of been a stickler for you. Still but, is. Um, you know, but I think when it comes to Big Ben, I mean, to me, the impact is there. The accomplishments are there. The guy won the majority of his games. I mean, the guy is phenomenal. There's just no other way of saying it. It's just, you know, when you're going up against legends in the game, like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, it's tough to compete against those guys, man. It's really tough. And he was able to get two. You know, same with Peyton. Brady won six in the AFC, but, you know, it's just, um, what are you, gonna you do? know, the, the guy, the guy had, a, had a great career. I mean, when, when you really kind of look at the, the, the totality of NFL history, Guy's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. Or at least one of the better ones, I should say. That's the truth. All right, so with that said, we're going to transition into some NBA topics. The first one being the All-Star game in the NBA. Uh, the lineups have been announced for both the, the Eastern and the Western Conference. Um, You know, there's some pretty solid picks here, but there's one in particular that has kind of stood out the most out of all of them. And, and that is... Andrew Wiggins. So Andrew Wiggins of the Golden State Warriors has been selected as a Western Conference starter for the All-Star game 
in the next couple of months or so. Now, this has kind of been scrutinized by specifically people on social media saying Andrew Wiggins, it's a little bit controversial that he is actually a starter instead of a reserve. And that is something that we'll get into in just a moment right now. So, Kevin, to kick the question to you, do you believe that Andrew Wiggins should be a starter for the Western Conference in the All-Star game this year? I say this as respectfully as possible. No. No. Like, no times a million. There's no shot. Andrew Wiggins is better than Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, Donovan Mitchell, for God's sakes, even fucking Chris Paul, if you want to throw another guard out there and put Steph at the three, because it's not really a traditional way to go about voting people into the All-Star game. It's usually the highest votes get in. Bro, you're really going to sit here and tell me that fucking Andrew Wiggins averaging 18 points a game is a better starter than Luka Doncic would be. Bias aside, Donovan Mitchell. Bias aside, Devin fucking Booker. Andrew Wiggins. Like, an all-star? Okay, maybe as a reserve. Maybe an injury replacement, technically, in my personal opinion. I don't really think he's an all-star. But if he got an all-star nod, then so be it. But the fact that the fans have 50% of the power of who is going to be in the all-star game is stupid. Because I guarantee you, this was a big trend outside of maybe people in San Francisco and in, in, in California and all those actual Warrior fans. This is a joke. Like, people saw that Andrew Wiggins was gaining traction, and they, they just kept it on. Because people were doing that multiple votes a day, double votes. Bro, some of my Twitter, like, you saw people, like, legitimately, like, just voting Andrew Wiggins just to be funny. People thought it was amusing. And now, he's a starter. Andrew Wiggins does not deserve to be in this all-star game, in my opinion, at all. There's too many talented people in the Western Conference that could be there over him. And again, that's not being disrespectful of his ability. He's having a good season. He's having a very consistent year shooting from the field. He is assisting the Warriors in being the number two seed in the Western Conference. He's had an impact on the team. But you're telling me somebody who's averaging 18 points a game is better than someone averaging 25-9-9? Come on! Do better, NBA fans. This isn't funny. This is stupid. He does not deserve to be a starter at all. And the fact that he is just shows that the fans have too much power and that that needs to be delegated amongst the the, the coaching staff and and media players or the actual NBA players, whatever. This is stupid. This goes to show the fans have too much power, and this is literally a result of fans trolling. If you think he's an all-star starter – if you're not a Warriors fan, like a diehard Warriors fan, you're trolling. Like, I, I, I can't have respect for you knowing that there are other players that deserve that spot. They aren't even Luka Doncic. If you take Luka out, that's Devin Booker's spot. That's definitely Donovan Mitchell's spot despite injuries. Hell, fucking put Clay Thompson in there, and he's only played like two, three weeks in, in the league. I'm not putting in a man that's not giving me consistency the way that other players are out there. And that's, that's all I have to say about it because I think that this is just ridiculous. Well, it's just based on how the NBA has the set up with, you know, the guard position and then the front court. And when you look at the list, I, I have the Western Conference players pulled up here. I mean, take away LeBron James and Nikola Jokic away for a second because they were one and two by and large for, for the front court for pretty much all voting. It wasn't even close. When you look at this front court list, you know, Andrew Wiggins is a starter. But underneath him, you got Draymond Green. Draymond's playing decent this year. I wouldn't say that he's playing all world. 
After that, you got Paul George. Paul George has already missed a decent amount of time this year already and may potentially miss the rest of the season with this elbow injury that he has. And then after that, you got Rudy Gobert. Well, he's a center, so he's not going to play the three spot. You got Carl Anthony Towns, who's kind of like a four slash five. He's not going to fit the three spot. Anthony Davis, same thing. You know, you could probably mix him in in a four and a five spot. And then after that, you got Carmelo Anthony and DeAndre Ayton. I mean, Ayton plays the four and the five, respectively, and Carmelo's a three. I mean, to me, when I look at this list, I agree with you 100% in sentiment that Andrew Wiggins should not be a starter for the Western Conference. But I think it's by circumstance is how we got it. Just because when you look at these top-tier players, as far as the all-star voting goes, there's not a lot to work with here. Now, you can make a point about the different aspects of, well, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic are clearly better than Andrew Wiggins and their stats reflect that. It's not based on that, though. It's based on this freaking setup that the NBA has in this backcourt and frontcourt aspect. That's that's really kind of the main issue that I have is that, you know, when you're taking guys like Luka Doncic and Devin Booker, I don't know if Devin can necessarily play the three spot, but I know Luka can. Luka definitely has the size for it. You know, I would put Luka in as a starter over Andrew Wiggins. I mean, that'd be so easy. I wouldn't even think twice about it. And then, you know, you look at down the rest of this list. I mean, you know, Damian Lillard, Anthony Edwards, I, I think both of those guys are better than Andrew Wiggins. I think a lot of these players Anthony Edwards is a name that is slept on. That man just dropped 40 the other night again, I, bro. He I, is nasty. I, I mean, we we take these guys, you know, I wouldn't say for granted, but these performances that they've had really the last, you know, couple years with Damian Lillard, Anthony Davis is on his ascension. You know, I, I'd put those guys ahead of Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins is having a respectable year. I'm not saying that he's playing like garbage. It's just that an all-star starter, not a reserve. That is a little bit too much of a stretch for me, but I think it's because of this front court and back court set up the way that the NBA has for its voting. I, I, I disagree with it. And, you know, even despite the fact that Andrew Wiggins is an all-star starter, I don't think he's, I don't think he deserves it. I think he deserves possibly a spot as a reserve. You could definitely make a case for that. But as a starter, no way. No way in hell. I'm sorry, Andrew. I know you've been having a decent year this year, but I don't think that he deserves the um, the all-star starting spot for the Western Conference for that three spot. No way. No. But there are some other players that deserve yes, that. Yes, and I, just, I wanted to just clarify, the All-Star starters have been announced, and in no particular order, obviously, Eastern or Western, the starters are, well, sorry, their particular order, Eastern Conference first, KD is the captain, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, DeMar DeRozan, and Trey Young. Now, for the Western Conference, LeBron James is the captain again, Nikola Jokic, Steph Curry, John Morant, rightfully so, and Andrew Williams. But those are the starters. Now, this mm-hmm. next segment is going to be where we get into a little bit of a, a little headbutt, a little, little try to spark oh. a debate between ourselves and everybody else. A little, it's little a big bit conversation. A little bit of debate. Are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm 100% ready for it. Kyle, what you got for us? All right, so 
when it comes to the all-star game that's going to be played in, in Cleveland in the next couple months or so, I think one of the key matchups that's going to be interesting in that all-star game is going to be the two centers that are going to represent each conference. That is Nikola Jokic of the Western Conference with the De- Denver Nuggets. And then you got Joel Embiid in the Eastern Conference representing the Philadelphia 76ers. Now you can both now both of these players play phenomenal in their respective role at the five spot, both with Embiid playing for the Sixers and with Jokic playing uh, for the Nuggets. Jokic is coming off an MVP season last year, and up until the point where Embiid got hurt last season, he was in the MVP discussion as well. So this is definitely going to be one of the featured matchups that we're going to see. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with both Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic making another all-star appearance, if you had to take one guy over the other, who do you think is the better center, Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid? Straight up. Both of these players are absolutely phenomenal. Both of these players are bringing the attention that the big man is back in basketball, that the big man can develop and, of course, stretch their talents to not just being guys that dunk and protect the rim. Um, both are great rebounders. Both are great defenders. Um, obviously, there is one that is better than the other in this case, and I'm going to go and I'm going to say Nikola Jokic is better, and here's why. First and foremost, Nikola Jokic has been more durable. Joel Embiid has missed significant time in his career due to multiple injuries. Obviously, the first year and change were some big surgeries that he had to have, and the whole trust the process thing kind of kind of catapulted its way and has become what it is in terms of just Philadelphia as a unit and trusting the process. But aside from you know consistency in terms of you know blasting in the NBA and actually playing in games, um, Nikola Jokic is a better facilitator. We haven't necessarily seen someone this big ever in life, ever in the NBA, uh, protect the paint as much as he has and at the same time be as impactful in distributing the basketball to his team as a whole. Um, I would say he's basically a point guard at the center position or with center height because Jamal Murray is out and you know we don't know when he's going to be coming back. So he's basically playing the center and a point guard. Um, I would say that right now, um, the way that Jokic is able to distribute the basketball and attack the rim and have a consistent jump shot makes him a full package, makes him a more dynamic playmaker, makes him more impactful. Now, in terms of an overall back-to-the-basket center, post-moves, post-fadeaway, I would probably lead that to Joel because Joel is a little bit more of a physical dominating force. Uh, Jokic plays a little bit more with finesse. And because Jokic does look a little bit more for the pass, he might actually take away a couple of shot attempts per game. I mean, I'm going to give Joel credit. The last 10 games, these are his points. In order from January 10th, 20, excuse me, 31, 31, 25, 32, 32, 50, 40, 38, 42, and 26. That is an incredible 10-game stretch. And in those games, he had double-doubles in six of them. So Joel Embiid is absolutely a dominating force averaging 29 points per game this season shooting 38 percent from the three-point line but we have already made a case for Nikola Jokic multitudes of times as to why we believe he is better and without saying it it is because of all the things he's able to do Jokic has less points per game he's at 26 Jokic is shooting at a higher clip from the field Joel Embiid is shooting 49 Jokic is shooting 57 Joel Embiid is shooting 38 from the three-point line. Jokic is shooting 37. Joel is averaging 10.8 rebounds per game. Jokic is averaging 13.8. 
Jokic is also averaging 7.6 assists per game. Joel is averaging 4.2. Joel is averaging one block and one steal per game. Nikola is averaging 1.4 and 0.8 in the block category. So their stats are very mirrored, but you can tell that one does more than the other and does it more efficiently. The shooting percentage is what's big to me. That's almost a full 10% in terms of field goal percentage as a unit. So I got to lean with Nikola, obviously the defending MVP. That race might have been a little bit closer if Joel doesn't get hurt last year. But in terms of if I had to put a centerpiece in a team and build around it, I am definitely putting in Nikola Jokic, and that's why. I mean, Kevin, I mean, those are pretty clear and concise points, and I'm with you 100% uh, with Nikola Jokic over Joel Embiid. Now, I don't want to discredit Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is a phenomenal center. I mean, when you're really talking about Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid, I mean, you're talking about 1A and 1B. I mean, there's not much of a distinct of a distinction between the two. It's just really, it's the nitpicky part of just kind of like looking at their stats and they're just trying to judge their overall impact. But I think the one point that I favor Jokic over Embiid, and you kind of brought this up already, was his versatility. The versatility aspect of Jokic to me, Kevin, I've brought this up before. To me, Jokic is almost like a Swiss Army knife. Because not only can the guy shoot mid-range jumpers, the guy can shoot behind the three-point line. Not only can the guy play defense, the guy just eats rebounds. I mean, the guy is damn near averaging 14 rebounds a game, which is absolutely phenomenal for this season. But to me, it's the facilitator aspect that separates Jokic from Embiid and to see a big man pass the ball the way that he does almost like a point guard in some of these plays that he can run just you don't see that from a big man very often hell if ever I've never really seen any center be able to facilitate in the manner that he he does I mean to almost average a triple double as a center is unbelievable I mean, you're talking about stats that you would typically see from a point guard or maybe a shooting guard or or maybe even a shooting for, forward sometimes, but not a center. That is unheard of. And it and really when you look at Jokic's overall impact, not just to uh, the Denver Nuggets, but really to the game of basketball, he is the player that is revolutionizing or maybe you could say making it evolution at that five spot for centers. Because when you look at Jokic compared to the centers of even 10, 15 years ago, Jokic is the full package. You go back 10 years ago, I mean, Dwight Howard was probably the best center in the league, but that guy couldn't shoot a three-point shot. That guy couldn't facilitate like Jokic can. Jokic does it all. And, you know, despite the fact that Jamal Murray's been out for an extended period of time recovering from his ACL surgery, Jokic has taken that responsibility, and he's carried it on his shoulders. I mean, the guy had an MVP season last year. You can honestly make a case that he's right back in it again to win another one. And the analytics completely side him over Embiid, and it's not even close. You could say that Jokic is becoming one of the best players that we've seen of this generation. And that's despite the fact that Embiid is literally right behind him. Like, this is not like... Embiid is here and Jokic is here. I mean, they're like here. They're not that far off. 
it's just the versatility aspect of Jokic to me is the difference maker. You know, to see this type of player be able to do offense well, to play defense well, and like to facilitate, it just that part is mind boggling to me. And it really kind of goes to show just how impactful Jokic is as a player. And then if you were to take Jokic off of that team in regards to Denver, that team would never even come close to the playoffs. You, that's how big his impact is. I don't I don't know if it's as uh, significant as like if you were to take LeBron away from like the Cleveland Cavaliers earlier in his career. But the impact that Jokic brings to Denver, it's substantial. And to me, I would slightly favor Jokic over Embiid. Embiid's a great player. Embiid is putting up great numbers with Philadelphia this year. It has been putting up consistent numbers for Philly the last couple of years. It's like you said, Kevin, Jokic is more durable and his versatility is a little bit greater than Embiid's. And that's why I'm favoring Jokic over Embiid. It's super close. Like you said, 1A, 1B. It's just like the Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes category. Uh, Of course, in the football side, you know, one has a Super Bowl and one doesn't. So we can't make that argument for Nicola or Joel. But the fact that they are so close in performance and yet so different in playing style, one is score first to worry about everything else later. The other one is I can score if I have to, but let me go get this guy involved because they're doubling me. So that versatility aspect at the center position has just been unheard of. Um, in basketball, we all know that centers have always been back to the basket rim protectors uh, or just dominating big forces like a Shaq, like a Dwight Howard. So for Nikola to bring that kind of mindset slash ability to the table, that is something that the NBA has never seen. And I am beyond happy once again that we're just witnessing a changing performance or just a, a, a very dynamic player in our generation. Yeah, I, I would say it's a slight paradigm shift. I can't believe I actually came up with that, that word. That's a, that's a that's a college word right there, bro. Um, but I think that this, this was going to happen eventually. Because when you look at the center position throughout most of NBA history, they weren't shooters. At all. When you, look, when you look at the rest of the positions on the basketball court, one through four, they can all shoot. The, the four spot really kind of became a huge... Uh, shooting piece, like when you look at guys like Carl Malone back in the 90s, Carl Malone was a great power forward, but he could be able to shoot. Tim Duncan, same thing. So, or was Tim Duncan a center? Forgetting somebody. Oh, your boy. Your boy, Dirk, Nowit- Dirk Nowitzki. I, so, you know, it's it's kind of crazy because, like, sometimes, you know, th- these four or five spots, they, they can play like hybrid spots. And I always kind of like get confused. Like, is this guy a legit four or like, is he kind of like a four or five? It's a, a lot of these players, you know, they were versatile in playing the four and five spots just in certain rotations. But the five spot overall could never shoot. Not from the field. I mean, you could play great down low and that's why their field goal percentages were always high because they were just dominating down low. Jokic is really the one that has really taken that baton and said, all right, this is where we need to go. Center position needs to shoot. And I'm going to be the one responsible for it. I think there've been other players that have been kind of testing the waters before then. Of course, everybody trying to expand their range and trying to adapt to the times, but not consistently like these two. You could see maybe like Porzingis, like when he was starting getting 
hot in, yeah, in but New he York. played he played the four most of it. He played the five a little bit later, uh before when he was voted an all star, he was at the five. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. But really Jokic to me, he's like a legitimate five. Mm-hmm. And to me, I you know, even guys like Carl Anthony Townsend, Cat is kind Four. of it, it, yeah. It's it's these hybrid ones. It, it, it's tricky. Like when you see AD a legitimate, when you see a legitimate five. I mean, it's Embiid, Jokic. Um, you know, there's probably a, a couple other guys. DeAndre like, Ayton to me plays the five man. I know he's a yeah. little undersized, but he plays a true big man. He's learning to yeah. expand his range, but he's a five. I mean, Dwight Howard was a five. Yeah, but Dwight was Dwight just couldn't shoot. not. Yeah, but really, Jokic is the guy that is making that evolution at the five spot happen. And to me, that's noteworthy. And it's significant for the game of basketball because now when you look at all five positions, you have to be able to at least show some sort of consistency at shooting. Giannis Giannis plays great. He's a great uh, two-way player. Not that good of a shooter, though. Not like no, getting better, though. We made that point getting, in the Ben Simmons video. Get, getting better. But not like Jokic. Jokic. Jokic to me, Jokic is to me a, a, a top. You could say arguably a top three player in the NBA. Yeah, we top made that. Three, point, we made that point last week. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we got to give Jokic a little bit more shine. I know he doesn't get a lot of it because he's in Denver, but dude, he's nice. Like, really nice. And Embiid's right behind him too. Yeah. It's not like Embiid is playing like a scrub. He's right behind him. Not even close to a scrub. But Kev, I think that's um I think that's all we got for the slate today, my guy. Good to wrap this up. Yeah, man. Uh final points. Uh Pokemon Arceus for those nerds are Nerd. is coming out. Nerd. That's fine. I love it. For those of you that are unaware, it is the first open world concept for Pokemon. We have always been stuck in the generic, can walk in this direction, can't walk here. Um, Sword and Shield was kind of like the little test where you can kind of walk in an open area but never really actually get to like expand and open, uh, you know, free roam concept. Comes out at midnight tonight. Obviously, it's going to be in the morning, so it came out, you know, today for you guys. But I'm going to go pick that up from GameStop, like back in the old days where we used to camp outside and wait for Call of Duty to come out. I'm going to get my hard copy so I can show my kids, say, yo, listen, this started it all. This was the thing. This is my shit. Don't touch this. I, Kev, that about, I, that about wraps it up. I, I hope you have a good time. I was more of a Yu-Gi-Oh guy, but you know, is what it is. I, I used to love okay. the little. I used to love the little the wrist dual discs. The, the wrist, yeah, the dual disc back in the day, my guy. The, the, you hit the little button, it flings it forward, and it connects, bro. That was we had the childhood. We had the best childhood in the world. Oh yeah, I mean, I wouldn't change it for the world. Not once, not one piece, nothing. But um. I mean, I, I got really nothing else to add from here as far as the episode goes. Um, you know, just thank you guys for tuning in like you always do, whether it's on the audio platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or watching us on YouTube. You know, we appreciate the support wherever we can get it. Um, as far as next week goes, um, we'll just be recapping the AFC and the NFC Championship games. I imagine uh, we'll have some NBA topics uh, to discuss in our next episode. And guys, we're kind of getting to that point uh, in the year where you know the NFL is coming to an end, um, not going to be a lot of not going to be a lot of topics in the NFL moving forward. Um, so the NBA content is going to start ramping up pretty intensely within the next couple of weeks or so. So definitely get ready for that. 
Um, we, we always get some hot takes ready for the NBA. I mean, the NBA, there's no shortage of, of content to go over. So we will definitely be providing that you guys moving forward. Um, I got nothing left from here, Kevin. So I'll let you take it away from here. Guys, as always, uh, Kyle already alluded to it. Thank you so much for all the support that you've given us from the very beginning. Um, we are moving towards a better and more efficient podcast, whether that's just editing thumbnails like we have been, um, you know, Kyle putting in the work, really doing the editing side of the videos, um, me doing some of the aesthetic stuff. I just re-signed my lease. So you guys will be seeing a little bit more of Kev's office kind of changing it around, going to get some fucking LED lights going around, going to get some of my sports memorabilia hung up, maybe get a bookshelf, reorganize this stuff so it looks a little bit more pleasing. Kyle's got a lot more stuff going on back there with the sports and obviously some of his interests in life. So, um, like I said, little things like that. And, you know, we are trending towards getting better in every possible way. So, uh, again, thank you as always, and we'll be seeing you guys soon. Yeah. With that said, you guys, you know, once again, uh, for tuning in to the Neighborhood Podcast. And we'll see you guys next week. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today.